0: My name is Nate Mickle. You're listening to Mickle's and Dimes Layer 2, where every interview is dedicated to the simple, the practical, and the underappreciated. <music> Ted Robinson is an Emmy Award-winning broadcasting pro. To begin to appreciate Ted's career, it's worth mentioning some of the sports and teams he's covered. In football, Ted has worked as the play-by-play announcer for the San Francisco 49ers for 10 years, Stanford football for 13 years, Notre Dame football for two years, and he currently calls college football games for the Pac-12 Network. In baseball, Ted spent nine years calling games for the San Francisco Giants, six years for the Minnesota Twins, four years for the New York Mets, and three years for the Oakland A's. In basketball, Ted has worked as the play-by-play voice for the Golden State Warriors and the Charlotte Hornets, and has called NCAA March Madness games for 24 years. In tennis, Ted has called every French Open since 2000, and was the primetime host for the U.S. Open for 22 years, also while calling Wimbledon, the Australian Open, the U.S. Open, the Davis Cup, the Fed Cup, and the U.S. Open Series. And in the Olympics, Ted has worked play-by-play for 13 Olympic Games, covering skiing, snowboarding, speed skating, hockey, swimming, diving, boxing, canoeing, equestrian, and golf, among other sports. In other words, Ted has reached the pinnacle of his profession. I hope you enjoy learning from Ted Robinson, because I certainly did. Ted, it's so great to chat with you today, one domer to another. Uh, when I think back to my childhood and March Madness, two plays stand out. So first is Christian Leitner hitting a, a game. Uh, winner against Kentucky and number two is the 13 seed Val Paraiso beating Ole Miss on a butter, buzzer beater and Ted you of course called that game on CBS that buzzer beater by uh, Bryce Drew so it's great to be able to talk with you more than two decades later.
1: Uh, Nate thank you it's a wonderful to meet you I'm, I'm so thrilled how we met through the Campbell uh, Trophy Summit um, which is a phenomenal recognition of everything that's great about college football so congratulations to you for being part of that the Valparaiso game was phenomenal. I have been lucky. I probably did around thirty years of March Madness, and the Bryce Drew game was clearly the best. It was, it was Hoosiers in real life. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, having gone to school, uh, undergraduate school in South Bend, while I was there, and Dicker Phelps was running a national program at Notre Dame, there was a pretty good little coach at a small NAIA school in South Bend called Bethel College, and it was Homer Drew. And even then in college, we knew about Homer Drew and he supposedly was this very, very good coach at the small little school. And later on, of course, he becomes the Valparaiso coach and his son who has offers from all the big schools says, no, I'm going to go play for dad and ends up having a true real life Hoosiers moment.
0: Yeah. Oh, what a cool story. And and additional background I wasn't aware of. Uh, Well, there's one more reason I've been looking forward to this call. And that's because when I was in graduate school, I was considering two careers, uh, one in education and two in broadcasting. I ended up in education, but it's fun for me to follow your career as an example of what a top-notch career in broadcasting looks like. And as you think back on your 40 plus year career, uh, 40 plus years in broadcasting, could you share two to three simple, practical, underappreciated lessons you've learned that you would most like to pass along to your children?
1: Sure. Well, Nate, I'll tell you the first lesson and the most prominent one. I think it's, uh, it's applicable across all generations, but in this era of electronic communication and screens and devices, I think it's more vital probably than ever in my lifetime. And that is make personal connections. Make personal connections. Um, I was... Uh, wanted to be you. I wanted to be a player. And in high school, I got uh, suffered a pretty gruesome injury that subsequently healed fine, but it forced me in a good way to go to plan B faster. And plan B was to be an announcer. Um, I was I went to college for this. I was in the minor leagues paying my dues. Uh, my minor league career took a tough turn because the team I was working for folded. So I was out of work. And my father... Beautifully said something to me that was the the best advice I ever had. He said, why don't you call Charlie Finley? Charlie Finley. So young people would know Charlie Finley in the 70s was probably the most well-known professional sports team owner in America. And he owned three professional league teams, but the most prominent one was the Oakland A's baseball team and they won World Series in the 70s three years in a row, Reggie Jackson being the most prominent player. Charlie was an old school promoter. He was willing to do any sort of a promotion, almost to the circus sideshow level, to try to promote the team. Anyway, in this particular moment in 1980, Charlie was near the end of his run, but he's he renowned for being cheap. My father informed me Ted, you would fit two criteria that Charlie Finley would love. One is you're young and two is you're cheap. <laughs> and so I called Charlie Finley on the phone from my, the home I grew up in outside of New York city in his office in Chicago. He answered the phone. I was a 22 year old unemployed announcer and Charlie Finley talked to me for about 10 minutes and I I'll condense the story because it, t- without the details he subsequently put me off for a little while. I then used somebody at Notre Dame who I had worked for as a student to reopen the door. Charlie, who lived in Chicago, had a farm uh, in Laporte, Indiana, which was halfway between Chicago and South Bend. Mm-hmm. Yep. So Charlie went to a Notre Dame football game every year. And. This person I had worked for at Notre Dame was unbelievably great. Called Charlie, reopened the door. Subsequently, after about a three-month uh, three gap, I called him again. I was in Chicago, and he said, come up to my office right now. And I was dressed in a, well, pretty casually, let's just say. Um, and at the end of the day and weekend, Charlie Finley hired me. I was 22 years wow. old with no cause to be hired by a major league team. And he hired me. And it was simply because I made the personal reach to him. I called out of the blue. It was like being a salesperson, cold calling someone.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and my father, God rest his soul, was the one who said, you have nothing to lose. And that was the lesson. You have nothing to lose. Suppose he hangs up on you. What have you lost? Yeah. yeah. And that's a difficult thing for us as human beings to accept is to recognize Take a swing. What the heck? And that was the biggest professional break I ever had. So to this day, I tell people um, I've been in situations as well in my time where I've been having to siphon through uh, applicants for a job. Mm -hmm. So it used to be in the 80s and 90s in in our broadcast world, you would get yellow padded envelopes sent to you with a tape, a physical tape inside, a cover letter, and a resume all printed out. Well, you'd have 150 of them stacked up in your office. You couldn't go through 150 of them. How does the applicant get their envelope pulled out of there and open? How does the applicant get their envelope noticed? That's the challenge. Today, it's the email inbox. It's the same yeah. concept, yeah. right? It's just all done electronically. So someone has this incredible cr- crush in their inbox. How does yours get opened Because they know you. That's the answer. That's the simplest answer to me because you've made a personal connection with them. So I, I can't emphasize that enough in this era of electronic communication, make a personal effort. I've, I've encouraged young people, get in a car and drive to the town that you're trying to get a job in and go knock on their door. I, uh, I have um, a relative um, who I was advising in this last year in, in a city I said, it, this this job was open, but they weren't going to hire for six months. And I suggested drive there tomorrow and show your face yeah. and introduce yourself. Say, listen, I just want you to know I'm serious. And when you're ready to open up this job and really hire an applicant, I'm going to be here to apply. I just want you to know that. I, I think that's, it certainly has worked for me and and it was invaluable. So that the personal connection to me is by far and away, Nate, the most important.
0: I love that advice. And, and, you know, you hear and and I teach leadership. So we talk about networking and, you know, in in essence, it's kind of like networking. But I like your framing of just make a personal connection. And what I tell my students and what I teach my children is networking is just being nice to people, essentially. And I try to model this behavior for them. And and this is one of the reasons why I do the podcast is because I want to just make a personal connection with interesting, smart, successful people that I can hopefully learn from. So very cool to, to hear that piece of advice, Ted.
1: Yeah, and the phrase is right. Networking is the phrase, Nate, and it's 100% right. And um, again, that's uh, that's how we connected. It's it's just it's just vital. And, and in this era, I at least I fear for younger generations, my kids, my grandkids who are now infants, it's gonna be too easy to get lost within your own little silo. And you have to break out of that. And you have to connect personally. Um, I think another lesson that I've learned, and I've learned this one a little bit the hard way, is to understand, especially when you're in a front-facing position, you're speaking publicly. You did that for a while as a broadcaster, I know. Um, I had to learn this, that the words you say have intent. When you speak, you intend a meaning behind what you say. That's not as important as the way it's received. And the the most in, uh, clearest lesson I should say I've learned on that has been commentating on, in the news right now, Venus and Serena Williams. And commentating on their tennis matches from the very beginning of their career, just about to the end, on the biggest stages, on the, the biggest national platforms. And, of course, they were pioneering athletes, as everyone knows. You don't need to explain this. But I've had multiple occasions where people have uh, gotten a little bit with me, uh, you know, and mostly constructive, um, a few critical, but mostly constructive, about the fact that things you say, me, a white male, may be heard differently by sets of ears of people of color, and it's it's and when when I say this, I think that's very understandable to everybody. But in the moment, it was hard because wait a minute, I didn't mean that. That's not Mm -hmm. how I said it. That was not my intention. My intention was to say something positive, but it was really forced into me to understand it doesn't matter. What you intended doesn't matter. This is what I heard. Yeah. This is what we heard. And that really is a good lesson because as our world over, certainly over my decades of doing this for a living, our world has become far more diverse, far more sensitive, far more aware. And these are all good things. Mm-hmm. And it's forced people who speak for a living to be far more conscious of what you say. Um, and and I know it's it's absolutely changed the way I do my job, but I think it's a it's it's really a positive, but I continually remind young people how what you meant is, and I understand it's not it, it, what you meant is sincere. Like what I was mm-hmm. saying these things about Venus and Serena Williams, I was sincere, but it, it's secondary to how it's received. And uh, so I think that is an extremely valuable lesson going forward, especially after what's happened in our society the last two to three years. It's, it's, it's accelerated that concept. I think, you know, multiple times over and going forward, I don't sense it's going to change very much.
0: Yeah. As we think about the point of communicating is to basically connect our thoughts and understand each other. And if, if we say something that is misunderstood or not received well, you know, it was it was easy for us for so long to say, well, I didn't I didn't mean that. That wasn't my intent. And so I really like this transition of, yeah, sure, your intent is part of the equation, but let's also think about the impact and let's see if we're communicating in a way where we understand each other. So yeah, great lesson, Ted. Appreciate that.
1: Yeah. And it's funny, it's it's it really was because of those two great athletes that I happened in my professional life to just be in, in you know, around a great deal, calling a great deal, but that's what forced this issue into my head. And, and it made me, you know, it's it's one of the great things in life as you start to mature is that you understand, wait a minute, I I, I have to under, understand and accept a different way of thinking about this. And it isn't just what I wanted to say and what I meant to say. It's what you, 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 and the collective you mm-hmm. are hearing. It's And it's really been very educational for me actually in my forties and fifties to have to confront this.
0: Yeah, great, great, Ted. Anything else you want to share as we wrap this up?
1: Uh, You know, the one, other. this is more of a, uh, probably Nate, more of a life lesson, but it does apply a little bit, I think, to the first uh, principle I talked. But I've talked about this a lot with my own kids growing up and with many young announcers. I still occasionally get, uh, you know, young kids coming out of college, coming out of Notre Dame in particular, who reach out, help. And, you know, the the technical path I followed no longer exists. this because the world has changed so dramatically with technology. You can't do the things I did, but there are certain principles. And I preach this one a lot, which is be fearless, not reckless. There's a difference between those two in my view. And for example, calling Charlie Finley to me was being fearless because I had to conquer the fear of no and the fear of rejection, which is very human. but. It was fearless. It certainly wasn't reckless. It wasn't doing anything that was going to harm anybody. There was no harm to myself, no harm to Charlie Finley. And, and I would take this forward as an announcer. Uh, when I was hired to do the Olympics for the first time, I was 40 years old. And I thought I would do a one and done Olympics. And when I was already in uh, Nagano, Japan, I was told with 12 hours notice i was being asked would you please go up to a mountain and call giant slalom snowboarding on primetime <laughs> national television and the the circumstances for this aren't important but i was being asked to do this a 12 hours notice wow. no prep and of course i said sure because i was fearless and at the time i didn't really have the background to be that way but i was of the mindset be fearless and it wasn't anything reckless. I wasn't going to again. Yeah, I wasn't going to crush myself. If I failed, I would have failed trying. Yeah, um, and I, I subsequently that led to probably ten more examples in my Olympic career. Thirteen Olympics. I've had this happen ten more times, where I've had this these biathlons and synchronized swimmings and uh, ski jumpings and crazy sports that, not crazy, but just off the track sports that I would know nothing about. I've been thrown at me and now they get thrown to me because management understands I'm fearless and then I'll be able to deal with it. And to lose that fear internally is a powerful thing, right? When you feel, and I'm sure Nate, when you played football, you had to walk that line, right? With your own safety, with your own body, between being fearless required as a football player, but you can't be reckless because now you put your, you endanger yourself. So this is a different version. That was a physical thing you had to deal with. This is more in the mind, but yeah. I think it's extremely important. Oh,
0: I absolutely love that phrase. And I don't think I've heard it coupled like that. Uh, I love the word fearless. And that actually helped me get through my football career. So I was a punt returner and frankly, for, you know, the first, I mean, going back to middle school, high school, I was scared to return punts, not so much for my safety but I was scared to drop the ball because I didn't want to let the team down. You know, that's such a huge yeah. momentum shift. And I was playing for Bronco Hall at BYU and he would preach this fearless mindset. And I started to adopt that. Now he didn't add on the reckless, which I love, uh, you know, don't yeah. be reckless, but fearless was the kind of the mindset I adopted as a punt returner. And I got to the point where I was able to become fearless. And like, yeah. I, you know, I, I'm going to go in here. And, and it was so motivating to me and energizing to go in excited and fearless rather than nervous. But I love this edition of not reckless because even as a part returner, you, you know, there are times that you should fair catch. You can't be yes. reckless. And of course in life, we need to take risks, uh, smart risk, fearless risk. I love this, but not be reckless. Uh, Ted, okay. I, I could talk to you for hours. I <laughs> really appreciate you uh, coming on. It's so great to follow your career. I am just going to enjoy uh, watching, you know, college football and tennis and golf and the Olympics, even more so now that uh, we've had this conversation. Uh, Again, I just, it's it's so great to be able to talk to somebody who's reached the pinnacle of success in their field. So thank you so much for coming on.
1: Well, Nate, it's a pleasure. I'll look forward to uh, the Campbell Trophy Summit again, and I hope we have a chance to meet in person.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode. It's hard to think of someone who has had more success in their chosen career than Ted Robinson. And I love that Ted gave us insight into how he's achieved that success. First, make personal connections. Ted literally picked up the phone and called one of the most powerful sports owners in the world. That decision to make a personal connection led to the biggest professional break of Ted's career. Second, intent is different than impact. To communicate effectively, it isn't enough to care only about the intent of our words. We must also care about the impact of our words on others. And finally, be fearless, not reckless. Ted jumped at the chance to broadcast an Olympic event with just 12 hours notice. That fearless mindset led him to 10 more opportunities in the Olympics that he wouldn't have had without that fearless, not reckless, mindset. I don't think it's possible to become as successful as Ted without catching lucky breaks along the way. But to me, Ted demonstrates that we can create some of those lucky breaks for ourselves. And by following his advice to connect with people personally, to be sensitive to how our words are received, and to be fearless, not reckless, we can create our own lucky breaks. It's a simple idea, please take it seriously.